It's episode 1038, and it's the Relevant Podcast. Here in Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Stray, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, mogul, Derek Miner. What up, Don? And still in Houston for a wedding, our very own downtown Emily Brown. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Jamie's off this week once again. Uh, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, Shane Claiborne joins us. It's been a while since we've talked to Shane. He's one of our favorite activists and thought leaders. Um, we also have slices. We have a little game at the end. We'll do a little, well, I think we're just going to do some table topics, some get to know you with the cast, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there you go. It's going to be a good one. It's, it's always a fun time of year, you know, like coming out of yeah. the holidays. They, they, they just announced, and I was very anxious about or, or eager this year. To, to see what see how this was going to shake out, but they but they just did they just announced the uh, Oscar nominations, and the ones that that interest me are always Best Picture because I feel like it's been a long time since there's one I even care to watch. Like I would say since Shape of Water, you know, it's like they're just getting weird or or like you've never heard Shape of, of Water like was one. pretty weird. I'm well, sorry, even the one last year I heard was a good movie, but it's like the uh, Coda, the, yeah, Coda. It's like. When 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 did this even release? Like, what is this film? I know no one in this. I don't don't even know where. If I wanted to watch it, watch it. Like, it just seems like they're so out of touch. I can't tell you how thrilled I am. Top Gun Maverick is up for Best Picture. <laughs> I have a I have a theory. If Top Gun Maverick wins, I think I think it's really gonna like it's just gonna inject optimism into into our society. It's gonna be looked at as the turning point. Like, man, remember when we came out of the pandemic? And everything was, you know, pretty tough for a while and everything was a bummer. Then Top Gun Maverick won Best Picture and the whole world was just like, shirtless football is a good thing and it should be celebrated and we just need to love life. <laughs> Guys, are you, because the other, the other, I mean, they have like, uh, you know, some indie movies, on like everything, uh, everything everywhere all at once. They have like hardcore war movies all acquired in the Western Front. They have like a, a Spielberg kind of prestige project. Just the fact that Top Gun Maverick, a film with a plot that can be described in one single sentence. You know what I mean? Which, like, it is it, which, simple, what, what is it? it uh, uh, d- Disgraced fighter jet pilot pulls off impossible mission. Like, period. That's all you need to know. Like, who's the enemy? They don't even tell you. It doesn't matter. All you're doing is watching Tom Cruise look cool for two hours and you're going to love it. There is no plot. There is no enemy. It just looks awesome. I'm here for it. I was so stoked. I have not seen it, nor have I seen the first one. It, you don't Eric. need to see the first one. It's see the second one, though. It's good. Okay. It is good. You'll enjoy it's it. Good. It is funny yeah. that Top Gun it, Maverick it's is awesome. nominated because it does feel just like a random pick for the Oscar because they, they normally are these like weird indie super prestige ones. And then it's like Top Gun, just guys being dudes. And I love it. Because guys being dudes. I think it's so funny. I mean, I, I had a great time watching it. But what's also yeah, funny how is... How can you not? I do think Top Gun Maverick, didn't it also get nominated for like best screenplay? I think it did, which is extra funny considering, like you said... The whole movie there can be summed really up. There is no plot. There is no plot. So there's and, and the movie has one mission. It's not like you follow them through this whole career. It is one mission, and they spend about two thirds of the movie re-explaining the mission. 
Right. I still don't it's know just over and over. You see, you see video simulations. You see them in a classroom. You see them test flying it. It is building. It is like we are going to make the simplest movie in a world where like there's multiverses and Christopher Nolan reversing time and movies get so con- like you feel like you got to take notes in half the movies you see these days. Like, all right, so which universe did he cross parallel inject himself into the quantum manium? Okay, okay, I think I'm following. This one is like, no, dude. They have to fly a jet through the mountains and blow up a gun. And we're going to walk you through it 15 times before it happens. So you're very clear what I, to me, it simplified it so much that I was just like, dude, I am here for this. Derek, I'm kind of shocked you I haven't think seen this. This is played in my, just played in my personal hill, I think. Is what <laughs> no, it's you, no, it's actually a good movie. He's, he's making it sound terrible. It's actually a lot of fun. You would enjoy it. It's a good popcorn movie. Do you movie. disagree with my assessment, though? that it is one mission that they spend most of the movie just re-explaining over and over again. Well, now that you're saying it like that, you're making me like the movie less. You know what I mean? Like, I enjoyed the movie, and now you're making me go, oh, yeah, that was stupid. That's why I enjoyed it. That's why I enjoyed it, because they, they, they zig where the whole world's zagging. The whole world's zagging, where you got to watch 15 movies just to catch up. Like, I'm out, bro. Like, I feel like I can't go to a movie these days without like having to read like a primer on the internet about like the, the five preceding movies. Derek, this has there's, no appeal to you. There's nothing in this movie for me. I, you would like it, dude. I'm telling you. I, I know you. You would enjoy it. You would it's, enjoy it's it. This man vibes. said that the movie like, is about fine. the same mission being played 15 times over. But it's like one a in cool a classroom, mission. one in a simulator. I, Derek, you'll it, enjoy it. it. Trust me, you'll enjoy it. It's a good movie. It's fun. It it's, is good, but that's what I'm saying. It's good because you don't have to think. Like, <laughs> is if I'm watching in the movie. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah, was, they, I mean, they fly the same mission over, over. Everyone I've talked to that's seen it, they have not returned it. It's a great mission. It. <laughs> a great yeah, mission. No, nobody walked out of seeing it and didn't love it. Everybody who saw it loved it. Yeah. That's the truth. I, and I apparently don't know what person in the Academy it, really bro. loved it because they wanted it to be a nominee for Best Picture. To I America's do hope it is bro. a turning point, like you said, Jesse, because, again, I love like the cool indie movies and stuff, but I also love a good movie where... You know, if I just like check out for five minutes and hop back in, didn't miss anything. Maybe a shirtless scene, whatever. Like, listen, I yeah, got you exactly. I don't watch you, those kinds of movies, Emily. Goodness gracious! But here's a, here's the thing. Scenes. I think I think the trajectory of pop culture will go one of two ways. If you have either Top Gun or Elvis winning, it's going one way. If you have a movie called The Triangle of Sadness, which I'm certain nobody has seen, wins. That pop culture's going awful. a different direction here. Like, let's not just lying. that sounds awful. Exactly. Let's go Top Gun. But are the Oscars pop culture though? Is are the Oscars pop culture? Because I feel like they haven't been pop culture for a long time. That's a good point. I, well, how about this? How about this though? They, they, I, the Oscars still can demand the attention of pop culture. Look no further than the Will Smith slap last year. Like, if it wasn't for the relevance of the award ceremony, I don't think that would have been a big as big a deal. Like, I think if it, I think the Oscars still can command. A, a, a oh, huge I think it was a culture. big deal because Will Smith smacked the taste out Chris Rock's mouth, and it was Will I, I don't Smith. Think I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think Will Smith. It was bigger than the Oscars. Yeah, yeah in but, my opinion. But 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 oh, that, no, that no could have happened at Chipotle, and it'd have been the same thing. I see. I I don't think it would have been. I think I think it would have been an interesting story, and people would have talked about. It, but there's something about them in tuxedos at this like kind of formal event that's on primetime TV, where pretty much actors are there solely to celebrate the work of someone like Will Smith, who actually won Best Actor that night. Like to me. 
his positioning in the movie industry, like you said, he is bigger than the Oscars. But the Oscars, you know, provided the platform for that to be this crazy pop culture moment. You know, did they take away his Oscar? Or I know they banned him for ten years, but no, no, no he didn't take it. away. But yeah, he can't. Mm-hmm. He can't come back to Oscars for ten yeah. years. Interesting. All right. Well, we have a great show. Let's get it going. Stay tuned. Up next is slices. I changed my outfit. Every whisper, every hair is out of line. I'm bored of trying to say You're listening to Matilda Mann and Spilltab. The song is Borderline Insane. Season four of The Chosen is in theaters now, and the reviews that count are in. Amazing. Did not disappoint. Flurry of emotions. It was powerful, heartbreaking, uplifting. You have got to come and see it. It is a message for everybody. I highly recommend that you come out and see The Chosen season four. Episodes one through three of The Chosen season four are in theaters till February 14th. So visit thechosenriseup.com and get your tickets now. That's thechosenriseup.com for tickets today. Okay, it's time for... Slices. What do you have, Jesse? All right, this one, uh, people can go to relevantmagazine.com to learn more uh, about this particular story about the recent findings of a poll from an agency called Morning Consult. Uh, um, Basically, they did a bunch of research on what are the American public's thoughts about various film directors. Now, uh, there were two kind of notable findings. This study is crazy. Emily, I know you spent some time looking at it. It's like 400 pages, like literally 400 pages. I was kind of going through this morning. Um, And but but one and this is uh, they found that among the 18 to 34 demographic among major kind of Hollywood directors and filmmakers, who do you guys think had the highest favorability rating among the 18 to 34 demographic. Young adults, hold on, young adults, they're cool. I found this very surprising, but after I started thinking about it, I think I kind of understand why. So wait, young adults, 20-somethings would have been formed 10, 15 years ago when they were younger. So Pixar would have been big. Uh, What was a big movie 10 years ago that a 12-year-old would have seen? Marvel, Marvel stuff, yeah. Uh, Probably in that lane. The, the 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 director with the highest favorability rating among 18 to 34 year olds is Tim Burton. Now, I started we'll thinking about that. why this would be. <laughs> to see that. And, and I think it's for a couple of reasons. One, I think like obviously like the Nightmare Before Christmas, like Batman, even Wednesday recently mm-hmm. was a huge hit among kind of the 18 to, I don't know, 25. I think that's probably right in that that show's sweet mm-hmm. spot. But I also think he has such a distinct visual style that you automatically know when you see a Tim Burton movie. It's like, oh, this is clearly Tim Burton. Like Wes Anderson or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think because so many of his films have that fantastical element that it does tie it to nostalgia, you know, mm-hmm. that's just my guess. See, but, I would have thought Wes Anderson would have been in that in that conversation. He, Maybe he they're had, a little too young. Maybe it's 25 to 40 or something would have been Wes Anderson. But the the other one that I found is they they asked Christians who had who what filmmakers had the highest favorability rating. Any, any Kevin guesses? Sorbo, Kevin Sorbo, uh, <laughs> Kurt Filmmaker. Cameron, Kurt, Kurt Filmmaker. Cameron. Oh. They have they directed uh, anything? They probably have. I just it, haven't seen it. Any guesses? I'll say this. It's 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 a very uh, prominent name. 
I, I, it's got to be a family friendly. Derek, who do you think? Christian's number one director. I'm going family friendly. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> got to be like PG yeah. movies, G movies. Uh, Steven Spielberg. Let's go. Bing, yeah, ding, go. ding, ding. It's Spielberg. Spielberg mm-hmm. is number one. Now, uh, you know, so I, I found that interesting, but not surprising. What I, but then I started looking through the He's favorability. Safe. Yeah, exactly. He's very safe. safe. They're family friendly movies that they, uh, you know, they, and they're well made. But then I started looking through, I was just curious about the favorability ratings of, of directors. I'm going to name a director that has a higher favorability rating than Ridley Scott, Darren Aronofsky, both of whom have made biblical movies in Exodus and Noah. Uh, has a higher favorability rating than Ryan Johnson, Christopher Nolan, Wes Anderson, John Favreau, Patty Jenkins, Jordan Peele, Steven Soderbergh, even Peter Jackson, who makes Tolkien movies with heavy spiritual themes. Guess what director has a higher favorability rating among Christians? It, it is a, uh, a Michael Bay. surprise. Quentin Tarantino. What? <laughs> among Christians has a higher favorability rating than all of those directors I just named. All right. Yeah, that, that yeah you got no me there. I'd have never guessed that one. Just like given the, it, that makes the no content sense. of his film. Like even non-Christians are sometimes like, it's a little much for me. That's interesting. I'm trying to think like Pulp Fiction. Uh, he hasn't had a non-R-rated movie yet. Yeah. And has not he? only are they, but they're all hard R. Rated right, <laughs> that that relish in violence and Kill Bill. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What Christian is watching Kill Bill and telling a survey about it? That's crazy. Uh, again, a higher favorability rating than Peter Jackson. Kill Bill is Uma Thurman wielding a sword for two movies and slicing people. And it's like when the blood gushes out of people's body, it's like a fountain. Ryan Johnson literally was a youth group kid and makes these like very interesting movies about, you know, class and morality. Like I said, two of the filmmakers that he's bigger than Ridley Scott and Darren Aronofsky have made biblical movies, literally movies based on the Bible. Soderbergh, like, is one of the most interesting kind of thought provoking filmmakers, Mm -hmm. you, you know, working. Like I said, Peter Jackson has adapted the works of one of Christianity's greatest writers or modern writers in, in, in Tolkien. Yet Tarantino is still has a higher favorability rating. Just I, among I have Christians. a thought here. I have a thought here and I could be wrong. I could be wrong here. But okay. now that I'm sitting here thinking about all of the people that you brought up, the thing that Quentin Tarantino is different to, from all those people and Spielberg is with their movies, they get direct to the point. Like, you don't have to guess. There's no guesswork there. Like, Quentin Tarantino, like, Inglorious Bastards is about World War II, Hitler, and all of that. And I think it's it's the framing of it that may necessarily make it a little bit more digestible if they feel very to the point. Like, all of the movies, Steven Spielberg, Jurassic Park, it's about dinosaurs. Like, like the Noah movie, is a, it's not, it's a lot of controversy there. Like, you got to kind of figure out What's what? Maybe it's the the fact that it just kind of is what it is. You know what I'm saying? So, so you you're you're because I think this is interesting. You think that the lack of subtlety and subtext in right. like a Tarantino movie, where it's like Kill Bill is just about vengeance. There's not much That's more subtext, is. right? Or yeah. okay. you, you know, like Django or uh, um, 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 I have another theory. I have another okay. theory. Yeah, my my theory is completely different than y'all's. Okay, okay. my theory is. 
Christians, Middle America, Heartland Christians, haven't really seen any any movies. They don't, it's not a thing for them. They're given a list of director names, and they were favor favoring the ones that they've heard of because they don't know Peter Jackson as well as Quentin Tarantino is more famous as a name recognition thing. So Steven Spielberg is the most famous name. Of course they know him, but, yeah. they, but I guarantee you these Christians couldn't, you guys are talking about the plots and nuances of, of Tarantino movies. They haven't seen any of them. They just heard of them. And so, they're like, so Oh you, yeah, that guy's creative. He, he's know. innovative. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that maybe recognition is part of they it. They see Kill Bill. But like, I, I think recognition might be part of it, but like just I know on the survey it was kind of you rate like most super favorable, somewhat favorable, not favorable. Like so it right. wasn't just like, do you recognize the name? It was like, do you it was Yeah, but, but 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 like okay, Quentin Tarantino is an award winning, Oscar winning, innovative, and like he's famous, like he's favorable. So they check that box. Like they don't know why or what specifically. I don't think Christians know his art. See, I, I disagree. My- I and I and I me Cameron, we have this conversation offline all the time. Mm-hmm. I think that you have a more optimistic view of people as who they actually are. And I think this is an opportunity. This was an opportunity for people to say, yeah, I like Quentin Tarantino. Like, because it's just a survey. There's no, yeah. there's no like... Um, their pastor won't find out. Their yeah. pastor's not going to yeah. find out. Yeah. There's no there's no, uh, no social pressure there to, to say, well, I don't watch Quentin Tarantino. I'm a Christian. Like, there's no social pressure there. So like, nah, I, like I think it's... Yeah, I think people watch that stuff, man. Like, you can't tell me these movies are doing the numbers they're doing and Christians aren't participating in America when most of Christians, most of America is Christians. True. Like, by by, by title. I was talking like, about the Caleb audience. I don't think that soccer mom. They watch mom. it too. Okay. They just I make don't... fun of you for watching it because of the social pressure. Because a lot of Christians are hypocrites. Let's just keep it real. That's Derek actually did true. mention how Tarantino films are like very graphic and violent. We talked a few weeks ago about the Passion of the Christ, which is incredibly graphic and violent. So I don't know if that, zero problems with I don't it. Know if that necessarily deters. Okay. So Christians are okay with violence and gore. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they don't I, like Tarantino's they don't like language is also rough, but they're okay with the language. That like they're okay with the language until the social pressure comes in. It's the social pressure that makes a lot of Christians act the way they act online and in real life. I literally, I'll never forget this one day. I was going to a church. They made me throw away all my secular music. Same. Like they made, I didn't throw it away. I was like, y'all are loony. But I literally watched people throwing secular music away and burning it on fire outside Dude. of a church building. And then we go to the pastor's house and we were leaving Somebody's car cuts on and they are bumping young Jeezy at ungodly levels. They forgot to cut it off before they got before they went to the house. And I'm, and I'm looking, I'm like, mm-hmm, you threw away all your secular music, huh? Like, no, nah, I'm not a fool. Like, it's the social pressure for a lot of Christians. Like, I'm telling you, bro, like people are not like Christians are not as wholesome as we like to make it but they project that because of the social pressure because it's a, it's a lot of christianity has weird standards that we all have to live up to like hey oh my god you're 40 years old but you can't watch a movie with blood or cussing in it Derek, like, not and, everybody and, i don't listen to like sec- uh, explicit lyric music and it's my choice as an adult because you're, you, know I mean? you're you are the sweetest human being bro <laughs> for real like no lie bro you are a really kind person you believe the best in a lot but bro that's not how this works 
works, bro. <laughs> like, bro, most Christians voted for Donald Trump. He said he was going to grab women yeah, by their yeah, private parts, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, like, what yeah, is we yeah, talking yeah. about, bro? Yeah, this man true. is one of the most, I'm not even trying to hate, but this yeah. man was one of the most immoral people in the world. And Christians voted for him in droves. That's so true. you're not going to sit up here and sell me that they're not watching Quentin Tarantino films, bro. <laughs> I don't care. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jesse. I've been no, you no. Off. <laughs> I think you're right about the social pressure thing, and I think it honestly starts at the top. Like, I'm not calling out any names here, okay? But if, but if you had like a prominent Bible teacher or or a pastor or a worship leader, and you had a conversation with them off the record about like, hey, what do you think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Pulp Fiction? Or I guarantee you, they've seen them because they're nor- they're at the end of the day, they're normal people. But then if you brought them on K Love or you brought them on a podcast and say, hey. We were just talking about how you really liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, the scene where they burned up all those Nazis at the end. You want to talk about that? Of course, they wouldn't do it publicly because there is social pressure and there is a dissidence between what we expect, you know, a quote unquote Christian to be and what they actually are in real life. Like that dissidence exists. And I, and I think maybe what we're seeing is some reflection of that in this in the poll survey results. I would. OK, I'm going to agree with you, but I'm going to don't lump it all as everybody's like that. Cause I'm just I'm not saying, saying for everybody. Me, I, I'm, I'm just saying, saying for me, exists. when I was in college, I saw Pulp Fiction and I might've seen Reservoir Dogs and I haven't seen a Tarantino movie since then. So I haven't seen Kill Bill. I haven't seen any of those. Cause it's just not my thing. I don't watch horror movies. I don't watch gore. I don't watch profane stuff. Cause I just, you know, I garbage yeah. in garbage out. I, I'm pretty sensitive to that stuff. And so this, this is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that every Christian is a raving hypocrite. Okay. What I am saying is I felt like that was Christians, the momentum of this conversation. No, so. no, not I'm just saying it exists within the, I'm saying I'm saying that Christians are okay. Christians have a level of cognitive dissonance when it comes to what they consume and what they check others on consumption. And a lot of that often comes with uh a lot of that also comes often comes with social pressure. Like you may not watch rated R movies, but there's some things that you've seen or watched that you wouldn't come on the podcast and talk about. Like it may be some music, a song, something like all of us have know. things that's all of us a guilty pleasure. Like there's people that are like, yo, you know what? I wouldn't tell people that I'm listening to a uh, little Uzi Vert, but you know, like especially the kids, the kids do this all the time. Like if you, if you lumping kids in there, they're like, yeah, we're listening to Lil Uzi Vert. I love Lecrae. But yeah, if my friends are bumping Lil Uzi Vert, right. I'll download that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, but see, but, I would, and I would thi- but I wouldn't I wouldn't care to tell everybody that. I mean, that's my thing. It's like I try, and this is the honest to God truth. I try to live in a way that like if my secrets were known, I'm fine. Like it's like I'm gonna let's put it out there myself. Like I don't True. I don't want to hide and anything. And then there's also the other layer of the people that listen to that stuff, but they kind of it's kind of like they're sick after they listen mm. to it. They're like, oh man, they like, guilty. you know what? I should, probably shouldn't have watched that, yeah. but it was pretty good. But it's the, the wrestle between like what you actually enjoy and what you, what you, uh, what to you enjoy. actually enjoy yeah. and what you know you should enjoy. Yeah. Right. right. They're like, I should be watching God's not dead, but you know what? I just want to watch, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood. Cause all my friends are watching it to see what it's about. And then you leave me like, ah, oh, it's a good movie, but dang, that was pretty immoral. I probably shouldn't have watched that, mm. right? You know, there's that wrestle there. So I'm not saying everyone's raving hypocrites. Mm. I'm just saying like most of the time, 
the th- the people that would watch a Tarantino movie, they're not going to just outright say you wouldn't expect that because we don't expect Christians to watch things with violence and immoral things in them. But the reality is, a lot of us do. I, I got yeah. halfway into one episode of Game of Thrones, and I was like. Uh, I'm a single Christian guy. I shouldn't be watching this. You know what I mean? Wow. So I stopped Absolutely. watching it. You know yeah. I mean? like, it well, but, but, but I think like what this shows like, it, I'm not saying it's prevalent in every Christian is some kind of hypocrite, but I do think mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the, the social pressures of a version of Christianity that is very focused on morality, almost elevated above spirituality. And sometimes like, especially I feel like depending on how you were raised, sometimes, you know, morality was the most you know kind of important thing i think what this considering that the director who you would be on the short list for least favorable like if i had to make a a a list of directors that i think christians nationally would would produce the least favorable content quentin tarantino would probably be on that list right the fact that he is high has a higher ranking than people who have literally done bible movies i think just indicates that there that it might not be absolutely prevalent, but I think that dissidence does exist in, I, I, in, in certain I, segments. Yeah, I, I I hear you. I I get your point. I think it's that Christians are stupid and they just recognize the name and check <laughs> oh that my box. God. That, that that's better than them dealing with the nuances. Of, yeah. he's like, hey, don't call. Me. Dude, they haven't watched that <laughs> they stuff. Just they just heard about him and said, oh, he sounds creative, favorable. Oh my God. Now that is a hot take. <laughs> I'm just soaking it in. Right. Awesome. Just absorbing this. <laughs> All right. What do you got, Emily? Okay, yeah. So, sort of switching gears. Um, so we have talked a lot um, before just about uh, like the number of Christians has declined in, in America. Um, and it's right now, it, it doesn't really seem like that. Hey, if you like this podcast, but you might like it better if there were no ads, you can do that. Head over to relevantmagazine.com and sign up for Relevant Plus. For just a couple bucks a month, you get... This podcast, ad-free, you get ad-free unlimited reading at relevantmagazine.com, including the full podcast and magazine archives, our beautifully designed digital issue, and a little more. Uh, Check out all the info right there on the Relevant Plus tab at relevantmagazine.com. It's changing, but um, a new study did come out specifically looking at um, the numbers post-pandemic because that definitely changed a lot of things. Um, And this new survey found that before the pandemic, adults age 18 to 30, about 70% were attending services. But since the pandemic, recent numbers show that it's only about 57% are still attending. So that's a 13% decline in just like two or three years. Is that all Christians or is that our... Our age demographic? Like Sorry, what? Yeah, that is the who, 18 who is to 30 that? range. Um, 18 to 30 so, range. Yeah, it's so, dropped um, 13% just with young adults. And it's, so it's like 50, 57% of all young adults or all young adults who say they're Christian? Um, adults who say they are Christian. So I'm a Christian 25-year-old and only half of them go to church. That's crazy. Is it? That's crazy. It takes... 30 days to develop a habit. I thought it was 21. Okay, 21 days to develop a habit, right? So we had to sit at home for a year and a half and watch, you know, church on television, et cetera, et cetera. And we got comfortable. So you'd have to almost fight to break the habit of the comfortability at home. So I, to me, that's it's not that far-fetched, Dude. especially if your relationships in your congregation were pretty shallow. Yeah, I went I went to a game last night with a buddy and we were talking after the game and I was asking him about this church that you know, he used to be a leader at. He was on the worship team. 
And I was like, how's it going over there? And he's like, oh, actually, uh, you know, we haven't really haven't been since COVID. And he said, honestly, now I don't think I could get my wife to go to a church on Sunday. Like we've just gotten so used to it after COVID that like it would be too disruptive to our, our family and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, they were like worse. They were like leaders at the church and they haven't been back since COVID. So I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think the other thing too, is this just, and I'm not a church historian, so this is me kind of talking off the, off the, off the cuff here, but like, is this just an accelerant to the next chapter of how people experience church? Because the modern way that we all grew up experiencing it, which was in, you know, kind of established evangelical-ish, you know, a lot of non-denominational uh, non-traditional ways of gathering on Sunday mornings with big screens and lights and loud bands. That's a very, very contemporary construct, right? Mm-hmm. Like before that, it was pews and hymns and, and churches where, you know, it was a central part of like a little community. A neighborhood, yeah. yeah. And, neighborhood then you parish. go back further and then you could look at like the Catholic church in, in Europe where it was actually like kind of a, a civil institution where it was like almost like part of the government, you know, like church, the, the crosses on the flag. Then you go back further and it was like just people meeting in houses. Like, is it just not that, not that big C church is in decline. It's just that our, the way we think about it, some social event happened, whether it was, you know, in the past political upheaval or new laws passed or the expansion of, you know, empires and things that caused the way that people experience church to change. Did the pandemic, was it just the latest kind of thing that shifts the way that people think about what church is, you know? Yeah, I, I think I, th- I think you're right. But like the thing that gives me pause in this is go back five years and think about the congregation experience that we all had, right? It was a lot of times of surface level and a lot of my friends... <laughs> this was the only Jesus they were getting all week. You know yeah. what I mean? They weren't in the word. They weren't in small group. They weren't studying scripture, reading Christian books. They, they checked the box. They checked the faith box by going to church on Sunday. So now they're not even doing that. So it's like, I don't think it's just like the church will evolve and find new ways to grow. These people are just going to drift away from faith. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, I, I think, I think we have a perfect storm here. You have one, you have the pandemic which you had, you, I mean, it just changed the way, not only did it change the way for the church, but it just changed the way we consume knowledge and information in general. Like our attention spans are shorter and we're quick to the point. We want to be on there. I think too, you also have to, we have to address the concept of the church hurt. Mm-hmm. Like not necessarily people at their, necessarily at their local church, but the way that politics became front and center in the church, people with differing views start looking at their pastors and be like, well, why would he believe that? Or even pastors making stances on certain things, right, that may not have thought about the implications of it. I don't even think it was just like, oh, I just want to stand with this or that. It's like they may not have thought about how others would receive that. Mm-hmm. They just thought they were standing for truth and it created a level of tension there, right? Mm-hmm. And then I would say, Cameron, the third part, which is pre-church or pre-the pandemic, a lot of us were going to church because of social pressure mm-hmm. more than feeling enriched and in some sort of community. It was, hey, I don't want to be the guy that didn't show up for mm-hmm. a, a month and a half. And, you know, that happened. So now pandemic comes, blows all of that up. And now it's a 
Well, do I really even need this experience anymore? Um, and people are starved for actual community. So I think the churches, Cameron, I feel what you're saying, but I also think the churches that can actually create community where people feel involved because it's hard to feel in community at at a big big church right i think the ones that actually create that community people will want to come back Mm -hmm. uh, to something like that i just don't know if we're going to go back to what we came from where it's the big concert right and then it's the thing that keeps us there for two hours it's like, nah, man, give me my 45 minutes and let me get some real emotional connection yeah. mm-hmm. with people. Or, or, or just you know? a, a play like the church becoming more of a, a recentering of social life. Like there's a Presbyterian True. church in my neighborhood that some of my neighbors like, you know, they have events all the time. That's just, you know, the purpose of the event isn't like some church initiatives. It just get people in the neighborhood together for a meal yeah. or to, you know, uh, do like um you know, decorate a, a Christmas tree all together or go do a food drive right. or, or just finding ways to gather people and, and give them like some sort of social event that they can attend. And hopefully that reinforces like the community aspect that where spirituality can blossom. Like instead of like reverse engineering, like we're going to start with the spiritual and then we're gonna, we'll build in the social and friendships and relationships. Like maybe it should be starting with relationships and friendships and then we'll build the spiritual instead of trying to reverse engineer the end product, which I feel like it's easy to fall in the trap to. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. What do you have, Derek? So um, I know a couple of years ago, they were trying to ban TikTok in America. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, Trump because of the security concerns of the the China. Mm -hmm. That's gaining a lot more steam. Federal employees are banned from having it on their phones. Mm-hmm. And then now a lot of um, colleges are starting to ban it on their Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. So uh, University of Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma. Um, Auburn. So I think it's over 30 colleges are doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's creating a new conversation in the land of the free about the difference between censorship and protection. Uh, some people, if you talk to some people that's like, no, this is a real security threat we need to ban this in a country and others are saying you're banning free speech and it's creating uh and there's a there's a bipartisan bill that is 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 on the floor right now about banning that in our country so some people are saying we're starting to look like china because facebook's banned in china uh right now yeah but the the legislation and the uh, that's in front of congress right now is is citing that tiktok's chinese ownership and yes. the fact that it's come out recently that they are tracking the location of journalists and other politicians and that they're saying that China is nefariously using TikTok being in our society as a way to exploit our national security. And so they're banning it. They're talking about banning it across the U.S. for security concerns, not free speech yes. concerns. Right. But people are saying that's a load of crap. Uh, this is this is yeah. So th- there's a debate now here that there's the people that are saying this is kind of like more intrusive mm. for our country than it should be. Like I should be able to be on whatever platform that I want to be on, and you're you're not allowing that. And as an entertainer, TikTok is the most consumed form of entertainment uh, right now. Right. It's 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 at least top, I think it's it's either right below YouTube is right below it, but. Really, it's the biggest consumed media right now. And a lot of people are making a lot of money off of that. So if they ban TikTok, it's going to really 
going to shake a lot. up a lot of yeah. stuff. And it just goes to show these people who have become like super successful on one of these platforms and built a empire. That's that's sinking sand, man, because that can get it's ripped dangerous. out from under you <laughs> overnight. Dangerous. But the thing that's interesting, when back when Trump was railing against it about security concerns, what was being talked about and what was actually in motion was not that the app would have to go away, but the Chinese ownership of the app in the U.S. would have to end. And so basically, they, uh, at that time, they moved all the data centers that has U.S. Uh, data on it to the U.S., but then they, then that actually has happened. That's current now, and the um, they were going to create a separate division, TikTok U.S., and that they were going to break that off and break it up the way that they like back in the day. They broke up AT and T, and they've you know mm-hmm. broken up monopolies. They mm-hmm. were going to break mm-hmm. up TikTok and force that the U.S. TikTok be owned by a U.S. company. Microsoft mm-hmm. was in motion to buy it, and then mm-hmm. the election happened, and it stopped because it wasn't a priority for the incoming administration, right? That's my guess of what'll happen. It won't be shut down and delete off your phones, but they're going to force the U.S. TikTok to be broken off of the Chinese ownership. That's that's my guess. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. And I also have a two for, I got another one. Uh, Trump back on Facebook. So <laughs> just let y'all know. Yep. Mm-hmm. He back on Facebook. He been, he been gone for two years, but he back. I poked him. I poked him this morning. <laughs> I just want to read this because this is hilarious. Like, I forgot how funny, because I don't have true social, so I forgot how funny that uh, Donald Trump. So this is what this is what uh, Donald Trump says in response to being able to come back. He says, Facebook, you can hear it in his voice. I wish Trevor Noah, I wish I was Trevor Noah, but Facebook, which has lost billions of dollars in value since deplatforming your favorite president, me, has just announced that they are reinstating my account. Uh, such a thing should never happen again to a sitting president or anybody else who is not deserving of retribution. I swear this sounds like the Joker, but it's hilarious to me. <laughs> Guys, I'm frazzled. I'm frazzled by this TikTok news. I just bought a Spart gas stove with a little app and I downloaded TikTok <laughs> on it. Now what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with my smart gas stove? Your smart hey, gas stove. You're hey, listen. TikTok's in, if you have a Tesla, TikTok's in your Tesla. So, yep. I mean, if there's a security concern, I'm it's, okay with, with whatever we need to do to fix it. I I say, be the driving. Chinese are no. watching where you're driving, dude. That's exactly what's going on. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be an auto, auto steer. And then all of a sudden I go off the meeting. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you don't want to say something negative about China and your brakes lock up because you got TikTok <laughs> in your Tesla. All right. That'll do it for slices. Stay tuned. Up next, Shane Claiborne joins us. You're listening to Baird. The song is Backboard. Where our guest today is Shane Claiborne. He's an activist and author who's about to drop his newest book, Rethinking Life, Embracing the Sacredness of Every Person. He sat down with Emily to discuss what it looks like to, to advocate for every human life and how we can find hope in a difficult world. Here's our conversation with Shane Claiborne. Where did the inspiration for this message come from? 
Yeah, well, I, I, I share a little bit of my own story in the book. I tend to write uh, fairly personally, you know, and I grew up in Tennessee and uh, fell in love with Jesus in the Bible Belt. But, it, but I also began to see how my worldview and my um, political imagination was, was being shaped in a real particular way. And I think especially when it comes to the idea of what it means to be pro-life, uh, mm -hmm. I love that language and fully embraced it. Uh, but then I began to see the limitations that we put on that, you know, so kind of how narrowly we had defined pro-life to one issue on, on abortion and on a host of other things. We Christians were not only silent, but we were an obstacle to, I think, things that would actually um, save lives uh, and, and, you know, particularly on the death penalty, the biggest um, supporters, the, the base for the death penalty has been Christians. Uh, and when it comes to gun violence, uh, we Christians are the, the highest gun owning demographic in America. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of so, I mean, all these things were um, troubling, but, you know, I, I, I really wanted to not um, abandon the language and the idea of being for life, but to expand it, you know, to really invite people to think more broadly. And, and that's what's happened for me is I've, I am. Um, I'm not less pro-life, I'm more pro-life <laughs> than, than I, you know, I was when I was 15 years old. So, yeah. What can we as the church and as Christians do to make sure we're not politicizing this issue? Because like you said, we should be pro-life, not because of politics, but because of our faith. Yeah, the, the question I, that kind of reverberates all through Rethinking Life is what does love require of us? And I think that's exactly the right question. You know, Jesus said that they will know that you're my disciples by your love. All, you know, scripture says over and over, all the laws summed up into this, love God, love your neighbor. Uh, and and so, you know, the, the question of what, is, what does love look like? Well, you know, we, we know what love doesn't look like, and we've seen a lot of that, um, especially in what many would call the pro-life movement. Um, and I'm sure some of them would say that they're acting in love, acting in love towards unborn children. Um, but I really, uh, this is where in the book I point to Mother Teresa as a model. Um, obviously, Jesus is the ultimate model uh, of, of what love looks like. But Mother Teresa is really helpful when it comes to being an advocate for life and including abortion. Uh, and I talk about, you know, the, the time I spent in India with, working with her, um, everyone called her mother. And we kind of think of Mother Teresa, it, it becomes this, this kind of phrase that it's become so familiar, we lose the depth of it. And I, I met this like 20 year old guy that said, you know why we call her mother? Because she rescued us you know from some of us were abandoned in train stations some of us had you know moms that weren't able to raise us and so i mean that was mother Teresa. she she just started taking folks in and and uh, this young guy was telling me she's kind of like that old you know the, the woman in the shoe that doesn't you has so many kids she doesn't know what to do you know she just started loving people uh, in tough situations and she uh was very passionate um, about abortion. She spoke about it. Bill Clinton invited her to the National Prayer Breakfast and she talked about her passion on abortion. 
Um, but, you know, isn't that interesting that Bill Clinton invited Mother Teresa to speak because there was a better conversation, I think, happening. Um, and But Mother Teresa wasn't a single issue person either. She called governors the night before executions, you know, and would tell them to show mercy, to do what Jesus would have them do. Um, she didn't just have bumper stickers and t-shirts. She didn't hold signs that say abortion is murder. She came alongside people and she had compassion along with her conviction uh, on, on these issues. So I, I think that's really um, what the, the sort of posture we need, you know, and, and uh, um, not just on abortion, but every issue, you know, and to think about the people who are impacted. And that's why part of this book gets really personal um, because both my wife and my mom have been impacted by this and, um, you know, gave me permission. In fact, Katie wrote a section of the book. And um, so, you know, one in four women has um, had an abortion. That's what our statistics are. And so we need to talk about this um, in a way that um, r respects the, the, the complexity and the pain and the impact that this has had on people that might be really, really close to us and certainly are in our pews and workplaces, but probably even in our own family. Um, so let's, let's treat this issue with the love it respects because it's not just an issue. You know, we're talking about people's lives. What do you want the readers to take away from this book? The, the, the invitation of this book is to step back just a little bit from all the culture wars and rhetoric and the polarizing debates uh, in our, you know, the division in our country and to look at life and say, this is good. I mean, that, that's how the whole story begins. God creates everything and calls it good. And to say that every person is precious. Um, that, that's my real hope, you know, and, and I kind of begin the book by saying it. The first time that we see the word sin in the Bible is actually not in the Garden of Eden when we think about the original sin and the fall and the, you know, eating of the forbidden fruit. But it's the, the, sin, the word sin first appears when Cain kills his brother Abel and it breaks God's heart. Um, and every time we kill one another, I think it break, breaks God's heart. Anytime we crush a life that God has made in God's own image, God feels that personally. And that's, I think, mean, my hope is that we would lean in to the pain of the world and let it move us and let it create not just a grief, but a passion to protect life, to um, stand up for people who are being crushed, um, to amplify the voices that people are not listening to uh, and say these lives matter to God, black lives matter to God, native lives matter to God, Palestinian lives matter to God, Haitian lives matter to God, uh, trans lives matter to God, like every single person is a, is a bearer of God's image in the world, a child of God. And so let's treat them like that. That was Shane Claiborne. Make sure to check out his 
upcoming book. You can pre-order it now. Rethinking Life. Listening to Mod Latour. The song is Trees. I like that one. Today's show is brought to you in part by The Chosen. Season four of The Chosen is coming to theaters nationwide on February 1st, and this season has everything clashing kingdoms, rival rulers, and when they're threatened by the reality of Jesus' growing influence, religious leaders do the unthinkable, choose to ally themselves with the Romans. As the seeds of betrayal are planted in opposition to Jesus' message turns violent, he's left with no alternative but to demand his followers rise up. So get ready, relevant podcast listeners. February 1st is the big release day. Go get your tickets now at thechosenriseup.com. Well, I had mentioned that at the beginning at the beginning of the show, I mentioned that here at the end of the show, we'd have table topics. We do not. Uh, slices uh, ran a little long and that's a good thing right it was a good conversation slices ran a little long and uh, we ran out of time to do it this week so we will be skipping this segment and uh, we'll do it we'll do it next week actually I think if if Jamie's back next week I think we're going to do another round of uh, the truth and two lies or two lies and the truth or whatever it's called that was fun all right anyway well before we wrap things up again i want to thank shane claiborne for joining us make sure to pre-order rethinking life now also uh make sure to check out relevantmagazine.com every day we're covering a lot of stuff there at the intersection of faith life culture you can see our digital magazine there by clicking on the magazine tab uh we've got great features in it conversations with mia sterling k brown elevation worship some other stuff and if you want the beautifully designed enhanced edition of the magazine perfect for tablet and other devices, uh, you can subscribe to Relevant Plus. It's our best way to experience our content. You get ad-free reading there at relevantmagazine.com. You get, like I said, the enhanced digital magazine. You get a exclusive subscriber podcast each week, and you get an ad-free version of this very podcast. Plus, a lot more will be rolling out this year. We're very excited about Relevant Plus. Plans start as low as $250 a month. And you can find out all the information by clicking the Relevant Plus tab right there in the header at relevantmagazine.com. Okay, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Derek Miner. I'm Emily Brown. We will see you on Friday. Have a great week, everyone. listening to the relevant podcast check out our features interviews and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com and make sure to follow relevant on facebook twitter and instagram for the latest for more great podcasts browse the shows on the relevant podcast network which you can find at our site and while you're there don't miss the all-new era of relevant magazine a new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com Quentin Tarantino. 
Relevant Podcast Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.